יום רביעי, אנגלית, שיעור 183, שעה רביעית, רש"י, דוקטור ליסה פרידמן. Um, of my father's death and my father was very proud of my work with Rashi he was so proud that every code in the house became Rashi if you want to get onto his computer it was Rashi this way he would never forget it so I thought how appropriate and meaningful that the shiur is on his shloshim so I'm dedicating in his memory the memory of the Abraham ben Ereo Halevi he should be a militio share for all of Am Yisrael how do I know when a perush or a comment is authentic How do I know when is a later addition or an interpolation? In most cases, we check the autograph or the original manuscript of the author. But in the case of Rashi, we can't because we don't have any original man- manuscripts from Rashi's hand. What happened to Rashi's original notes or manuscripts? The truth is that nobody really knows. Some believe, such as the historian Gritz, that when the Talmud was burnt in Paris in 19... 19- In, 12, in 1241, Rashi's original manuscripts were burnt as well. So we return to our original question. How do I know when it is an authentic Rashi commentary? It would seem that we should try to locate the oldest manuscripts of Rashi's Bible commentary and try to use them as our basis. But keep in mind that the oldest dated Rashi manuscript to the Bible is the Munich V manuscript dated 1233. That means 130 years after Rashi's death. A lot can happen to a text in 130 years, especially when it's hand-copied. But there is no doubt that often the older manuscripts are more accurate than the newer ones. The question of the accuracy of Rashi's Bible text is compounded due to the popularity of his commentary. Rashi's commentary to the Torah was the first dated printed Hebrew book. It was first printed in Reggio di Calabria, Italy in 1475. Additionally, as early as 1250, the Smag, Rav Moshe from Kutsi, permits one who does not understand Aramaic to fulfill the weekly obligation of reading the Targum, Shtayim Ikra Belchat Targum, by reading Rashi's commentary instead. This will later be codified in the Shulchan Aruch. With so many people learning and using Rashi's commentary, the greater the chance, with errors, changes, and alterations, that they would be made. Professor Avram Grossman, the Chatan Pras Yisrael, he writes... No other work of a medieval Jewish scholar arouses such doubt and arguments in respect to a text as Rashi's Bible commentary. At this point, we must differentiate between two types of changes to the biblical text, corrections and additions. Scribes are human, and they are, therefore they make errors. The doubling or misspelling of words, the eye-skipping words or even full sentences are just a few examples. Subsequent scribes would come along and correct the errors of previous scribes, or whatever they perceived as errors. We will not be focusing upon that issue today. The second type of change is additions or interpolations to Rashi's text, meaning when additional comments or explanation are incorporated into the, tech, into the body of the text itself. That will be the focus of our discussion today, an investigation into the additions or interpolations to Rashi's Bible commentary. Now, my goal for this session is not that you should just hear and learn about the phenomenon, but rather that you should actually see and experience the phenomenon firsthand. 
I have brought I have brought for you copies of Rashi's Bible manuscripts dating from the 13th through the 16th centuries on your handout for you to see and decipher. Some are less clear than others, and they will require a little bit of that famous Israeli word, Hebrew word, sablanut, patience. But I hope that actually seeing the manuscripts will give you a greater appreciation and excitement for our topic today. Interpolation to Rashi's Bible commentary can be divided into two stages, the manuscript stage and the printing press. We'll focus upon the manuscript stage, but if there is time at the end of the session, we'll spend a few minutes talking about what happens after the advent of the printing press. I want to touch on four basic questions this afternoon. The questions are, how can one identify an interpolation? Who added Sarashi's Bible commentary? How many comments were added and are they are not authentic? And what types of comments were added, pshat, drash, or other? Okay, enough of an introduction, let's begin. If you take out your source sheets and you look at source A, source A is from Sefer Daniel, the book of Daniel, Perek Bet Pesuk Tet. In this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, had a dream, but unfortunately, he can't remember the dream. And he is demanding from his wise men to tell him not only the interpretation of the dream, but what the dream actually was. Alrighty? So in our first pasuk here, pasuk tet, the text says, and this part of uh, Daniel is written in Aramaic, and I brought you the English translation, If you do not make the dream known to me, there's only one sentence for you. And if you are prepared lying, corrupt words to speak before me until the time changes, only tell me the dream and I know that you can relate its interpretation to me. Clearly, the problematic phrase in in this verse is until the time changes. What does the text mean until the time changes? So if you look in the box, I brought you the standard mikraot gedolot that many people have at home. Now realize that your mikraot gedolot that you have at home, the ones that you might have gotten for your bar and bat mitzvah or somewhere in elementary school, are actually just a copy of the mikraot gedolot which were published in Warsaw in, from 1860 to 1866. All right, we're going to get back to that later on. So what does Rashi say um, in the box? Adi yishtaneh. Rashi says, until the time changes, klamar meaning, before the slant of the evening shades turns, when the more time of morning changes. So Rashi's saying that Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them, that they have until the morning changes, until afternoon. Rashi goes on to say, a second comment, Adi idna ishtaneh, Lashon ge'ara v'gazum. This phrase is a threat. It's a rebuke. Kach ye'anesh. So you shall be punished. The ha'onesh kvar piresh lamala, and the punishment is written earlier. V'dugmato l'chein kol horei kayin. And a similar example is anyone who kills kayin. Now what's Rashi saying here? Rashi's second comment is saying that we have a shortened phrase, a truncated verse. It's a threat, but... The threat isn't stated. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, if you don't tell me the truth, just wait until the time changes. And what does the reader have to do? Fill in the blank. Okay? And he says, this is similar to what it says in Sefer Breshit. And I brought you the perush of Rashi and Sefer Breshit run under, right under. Okay? In Sefer Breshit, um, we'll just read 
the first line or so, Lachain kol horekayin, ze'echad min hamikraot shekitzru divrehem v'ramzul v'lopirshu. This, the phrase, and anyone who kills Kayin, is a shortened phrase where it's only hinted to and not stated. Lachain kol horekayin, anyone who kills Kayin, lashon gi'ara. It's a rebuke, it's a threat. Ko ya'aselo, kach v'kach onesh, this will be his punishment, v'lo peresh onsho. Alrighty, so the, the punishment isn't stated here. It's only stated later on. And at the very end of Rashi from Breshik, go to the second to last line. He brings another example from Sefer Shmuel where the biblical text only hints to something and it's only added in later on. Vayomer David, kol David says, whoever can go up and touch the pipe, and modern archaeologists believe this is the warren shaft, well, never tells us what's the reward of that person. Later on, lo piresh ma'yaselo. Kan kitzer dvarav ubedivrei hayamin piresh yel derosh ulesarin. Only later in the Bible, in the book of Chronicles, we're told he will be the leader. So Rashi and Daniel that we just read is saying that that phrase, wait until the time changes, is a threat. And it's, we're, not told until, we're not told specifically what's going to happen. Now let's look at the manuscripts of Rashi to say for Daniel. The first thing that I brought you is the, the first printing of Rashi's Mikra'ot to Sefer Daniel, which was in 1515 in Thaloniki. Put your finger, okay, put your finger on the Hebrew source, and we'll read it together. And let me explain to you, well, in a minute we'll see manuscripts, how difficult it is to work with ancient matter. Adi idna ishtana, adasher yishtane ha'etz, until the time changes, klomar kodem ha'ereb Okay, there's Rashi number one, answer number one. Adi idna ishtane, lashon ge'ara ve'gazumhu, it's a threat. Kach ge'anesh, ha'onesh kvar piresh lamala, ve'dumato lachen kol horei kayin. So the first printing of the Rashi in Saladiki 1515 is similar to our Warsaw, our Mikraot Gedolot. Now go down. Let's look at the Oxford Bodleian Library, manuscript number 2440. This is from the 1200s. What does the 1200s manuscript tell us? Di'idna yishtane, ad asher yishtane ha'it, klomar kodem netotile erev, sheishtane mo'et haboker, end. What is missing in our first manuscript? What's missing? The second explanation. Let's go down now to the Vienna National Library manuscript number 24, dated from the 14th and 15th centuries. Notice, ladies and gentlemen, each manuscript looks different. This is handwritten. This is a copy of the microfilm that's housed in the National Library in Jerusalem. All right? Look at National Library number 24. Stop. What is missing? The second commentary. Let's now go down just one more to the Oxford Bodleian Library manuscript number 186, dated from the 13th century. It's a long one. You don't have to read it all. But... Um, Let's just, I'm not going to make you read everything with me, but I feel like if we don't go through this, you're going to miss out on an experience of Chavaya. And everyone in Israel likes Chavayot, right? So let's try to do this a little. Number one. We have a, on the last line, we have a mistake in our manuscript. We need to skip the next two words. No, it's noted on top of those dots. This is a mistake. That is how a scribe is telling us. 
לכן כל הורג חיל, וכן כל מכה ויגע בצינור. And so what do we see? We see in its bottom manuscript, it has both commentaries of Rashi, but what is different? Can anyone tell me? What's different about the last one that we read from the Warsaw? Did anyone notice the difference? What is added in the last one? They bring the proof text from which book? From Sefer Shmuel, whoever, kol makeh vayaga yivusi vayaga betinor. Okay, in any event, it has both commentaries, but what is there after the Rashi's Pelush? What is there? Look by the arrow. Anyone see it? That is a taf. And that taf is worth a million dollars. If you're reading a manuscript and you see that, you jump out of your chair and you make noise in the library, and it's okay. That taf means tosefet. We have actual proof from Oxford Library Manuscript 186 that the second commentary of Rashi is what? Is an addition, is an interpolation, and did not come from Rashi's hand. And that's why it's missing in some of the manuscripts, because it was added in later on. Now, let's just turn the page for a moment. I'm gonna, I have one more example from you. This is from the Berlin Steinschneider Catalog, manuscript number 15, dated from the 13th century. And here again, I won't, read you, I won't read the whole thing again with you, but look at the little arrow. I'm, I helped you cheat. Look at the little arrow. What do we have at the end? Ataf, Tosefet. So here it is very, very clear. That's this with an addition to Rashi's commentary. Now, it's an anonymous interpolation. We don't know who added it into his commentary. We don't have a name. But if we look at the manuscript details, it helps us pinpoint a little bit when it was added. This Tosefet was found, I found, in 9 out of 31 manuscripts. And the letter Taf I found in only 5 out of the 9 manuscripts. And the five out of the nine manuscripts are from Ashkenaz, dating from the 13th century, and the other ones are later on. So it would seem that the person who added this Tosefet lived in Ashkenaz somewhere during the 13th century or even before. Now, we don't know much about the person who added it, but we do know one thing, that he was a Talmud Chacham. Because basically, what is the second interpretation? It's taking Rashi's commentary to Sefer Breshit and what? and applying it to Sefer Daniel. So our Baal Tosefet, our author, knew Rashi to Sefer Breshit and simply inserted it here in Sefer Daniel. Now, how does this happen? How do interpretations fall into the biblical text? And a lot has to do with the margins of a manuscript. This manuscript is the Lutke 778 collection, the JTS library. I had the privilege of seeing it, using it firsthand, not just through microfilm. Look at the sides that are circled. Those are additional comments that are added to the manuscript. Now, the next scribe comes along. Everything is being handwritten. He sees something on the side, and what does he assume? I need to put it in. Now, sometimes the comment on the side has a tuff, and the scribe, the subsequent scribe is careful, and he puts it into the text with a tuff. But sometimes it could be it doesn't have a tuff, and this next scribe just comes along and puts it into the body of the text. And that's how most of the interpolations were introduced into Rashi's commentary. Um, here's another example, okay? And this is a very, very interesting Tosefet. I mentioned before that the one who added our commentary was obviously a Talmud Chacham because he knew Rashi the Sefer Breshit. Our scribe of Lutsky 778 is a Talmud Chacham because what is this, com- what, is this, what, is this, what is it saying? 
Rashi, on Perek Bet Pesukhat, on the Pesuk, according to a man's wisdom will he be praised, but one of a distorted heart will be put to shame. On the word Na'aveh, distorted, Rashi writes, Negizrat Na, that the word Na'aveh is from a two-letter root, Nun Ayin, Kemo Za'ava Megizrat Za. Okay, so Rashi believed in the concept of two-letter roots, and he's saying that this word is similar to the word Za'ava that also comes from the two-letter root. What is our scribe write on the side of the commentary, on the side of the manuscripts? Vili hasofer. You can, can you make out the words here in the manuscript? And me, the scribe, nirah, she'en za'ava ki migizrat za'a. He disagrees with Rashi. He says, I don't think so. He says, I think it comes from a three-letter root. V'chein na'ava migizrat na'a. Kemo shalva shehi migizrat shala. So we see that not only were the people adding comments on the side necessarily Tamidei Chachamim, but often the scribes themselves were also Tamidei Chachamim. So our interpolation in Sefer Daniel is a stylistic comment. It's saying that sometimes the biblical text only hints to certain things, and that information is added later on. Okay, let's go to our second example on the sheet, example number B. Okay, and I'm hoping that from each example we're going to learn something new about interpolations. Example B is from Sefer Mishlei. Perekret pesuk yudzayin, ani ohavai ehav, umeshacharai yimsa'uni. Those who love me, I love, and those who seek me will find me. Okay, for example, bet. Notice that there is a kriyotiv. The second word has brackets after it, right? The second word, ohaveha ohavai. It's written one way, read another way. Okay, Rashi in your standard mikraot gedolot has three comments. First one, ehav. Kimo ehav, Rashi is saying that it's a grammatical comment, that in the future first person, often the first aleph drops. So this is refer the word ehav really means ehav. Ohavai, the second comment. Ohavehaktiv, Rashi is commenting on the kriyukti, that it's written one way and read another. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says, Ani ohaveha shel Torah ehav, I am the lover of Torah, God says, this is what I heard from Rabbi Aharon in the name of Rabbi Natan. So the second comment is quoting, is, is commenting on the Kriyotiv. And the third comment, Yimtsi'uni, Nun Yetera. Notice the word Yimtsi'uni has two nuns. What's Nun in Gematria? 50. Chamishim Sha'arei Bina Amtsi'ana. I will find 50 gates of wisdom. So Rashi has three comments, grammatical, the second one has to do with the Kriyotiv, and the third has to do with the Gematria. Let's look at our Lutzki manuscript that you have in front of you. Okay, what do we have here? Ohavayahav, ohavehaktiv, ani amar hakadosh baruchu, ani ohaveha shel Torah ehav, zo shamati merbiyaraharon b'shem Rabbi Natan, yimtsi'uni nun yetera chamishim sha'arei bina amtsa'anu, Ehav, kimo, ehav. What is different about our manuscript from the box, from Mikro Anyone notice? The order. Red light has to flash. The minute you have changing order, that's, that's an indication that something was added in later on. Where is it? Can you put. Who, where is it? Is the air conditioning on? Is he out there? Ah, okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so, right. Okay, hopefully we'll work it out. In any event, so we see, so we've just seen that the order is different, 
And if order is different, we say that is a red light. Look at the next example. The Roman Kazantense Library, manuscript number 53, dated from the 14th, 15th century. What do we have there? Ehav Kimo, Ehav Yirat Hashem. It only has what? One. Okay? So clearly, okay, these are all indications that what? That we have a Tosefet. And here we go. If you look at the board, we have three commentaries of Rashi that we saw. The first Perush was found in only 90, was found in 96% of the manuscripts. The second one was found in 71% of the manuscripts. And the third one is found in 67% of the manuscripts. So it's clear to us that what? That the first, the first inter- interpretation is Rashi, and the other two were added to Rashi's commentary. Now notice, we didn't have a taf. We didn't have a taf. We didn't have any physical symbol. And very often there is no physical symbol of an interpolation. But the moving commentary and the missing commentary are hints that what? Are hints that we have a Tosefet. I want to look at one more example of an anonymous interpolation, and that's example number C. If you look at number C from Sefer Mishlei, in example number C, Mishlei tells us to stay, save you from a strange woman, from a foreign one who makes her words smooth, who deserts the Lord of her youth and forgets the covenant of her Lord. Okay, we have a foreign woman in Sefer Mishlei. She's the antithesis of the Eshet Chayil, which we read about at the end of Sefer Mishlei. And what do we have in manuscript number 24 from the Vienna Library? Ha'ozevet aluf ne'ureha. She leaves, abandons the God of her youth, this woman. B'minin Yisrael ne'amar. Regarding the apostates, the Jewish apostates, the Jewish converts to Christianity, this is talking about. B'nivyei ha'bal ha'mesitim. The converts to Christianity as, who are similar to the Nivyei Habal of old who incite. Aluf Ne'urai in Sefer Yirmiyahu when it says the God of my youth. The Yisrael Ketiv it's talking about the Jewish people. The Hebrit Eloheha Shekibla Torah Bebrit it's the Jewish people that receive the Torah in a covenant. The Halalu Minei Ha'umot Lamdumehem and the insiders of, and Christian insiders learn from them. This is a very, very sensitive Tosefet. It's saying that it is the Jewish apostates to Christianity who have taught the non-Jewish Christian world how to hurt and how to attack the Jews. Now look in Vienna National Library number 23. We don't have to read the whole thing, but what do we have at the very end by the arrow? A taf. This is a Tosefet, a polemical Tosefet against Jews who are veering towards Christianity. It sounds ludicrous to us today when we live in a modern world with our own opinions and views. But in the medieval world, the fear of Christianity was great. People converted to Christianity quite often. And the, the text of Mishlei of Rashi is trying, or this Tosefet, is trying to distance the Jews away towards Christianity. The most famous example of a Jew who... who um, converted to Christianity in the 1200s is Nicholas Donnan. Nicholas Donnan, in 1240, gave Pope Gregory IX a list of 35 accusations on the Talmud. And as a result of those accusations, we have the famous Paris Disputation. And what happens after the Paris Disputation? The Talmud is burnt. It all started with the Jewish apostate, Nicholas Donnan. Later on, um, Dominico Yerushalmi, Yerushalmi, a famous 
famous person, 1596. He wrote the Sefer Hazikuk, the index. It was an index of 426 Hebrew books that had offensive comments to Christianity that had to be censored out. And all the censorship from then on is based on the Sefer Hazikuk, which was put together by a a Jewish convert to Christianity. The Jewish converts were the most dangerous to Judaism because A, they knew Hebrew, and they could teach the Christians Hebrew, and B, they knew our sacred Jewish texts, and they could uncover to the Christians what the texts were saying. So this third interpolation to Rashi's commentary, we see it starting in the manuscripts from the 1200s. Here we have it here, exact information. It was found in 16 of the 51 manuscripts. In only two of them, there is a taf. We have one here as a tosefet. It begins in Ashkenazim, 13th century, which makes sense. We have Nicholas Thonin. We have the threat of Jews converting to Christianity because times are so bad. Um, And then it moves from Ashkenazic manuscripts even to Sephardic manuscripts. And it just moves out. Okay, so we've seen, we've seen three examples of interpolations, anonymous interpolations. And now I want to move on to the other type of interpolation, which is an attributed or identifiable um, interpolation. And that's really, really very exciting. Exciting because we have a name that's connected to our interpolation. And we're going to see that one name is going to become very, very significant in the history of Rashi text. Okay, if you turn the page, um, we're on source A under attributed interpolations. And once again... Once again, we're in the book of Daniel. We're in the opening phrase of Sefer Daniel. It says in Sefer Daniel, Bishnat shalosh lamalchot Yehoyakim, in the third year of the Melech Yudah, of the king Yehoyakim, the king of Judah, Ba Nebuchadnezzar Melech Babel Yerushalayim, Vayatzar Aleha. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, comes and sieges Yehoyakim and sieges the city. How appropriate that we're learning this pasuk now as we near Tisha B'Av and um, we experience the the final destruction of Yerushalayim. So what does Rashi in the standard Mikraot Gedolot write? We won't read the whole thing, we'll just read part of it. Bishnat shalosh malamachot Yehoyakim. It happened in the third year of Yehoyakim. V'chi afshar lomarachin. Can you say this? V'halohu malach bishnat dalid lehoyakim. But wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar only becomes king in the fourth year of Yehoyakim's reign. Shene'emar, as it says, bishnat hadalid lehoyakim ben Yoshiaum melech Yehuda. In the fourth year of Yehoiakim, the king of Judah's reign, he has shana harishona lenuvuchatnezer. That is the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Right? So we have a, a contradiction between the book of Yirmiyahu and the book of Daniel. bishnat shalosh. So what does it mean here? In the third year of Yehoiakim's reign, bishnat shalosh lemardo. It doesn't mean the third year of his reign. It means the third year of his rebellion. All right? So then they go through all these numbers of how many years Shene'emar, Vayilo Yehoyakim Ebet Shaloshanim, Yehoyakim paid his tribute for three years, Vayashov Vayim Rodbo, and after three years he then rebelled. Shaloshanim, Ubishnat Shalosh Alala, Vihishnash Shmonala, Munuchata, etc., etc. And then we have a whole description, a chronological point here at the bottom, and at the very four last words, and after they get rid of Yehoyakim, Vihimlich Nebuchadnezzar Tachtav Yehoyakim Beno. Okay, this is what we have in our standard Rashi text. If you look in the first manuscript, the Lutsky collection from JTS, which is dated in the 12th century, it finishes with the words, V'shalosh shanim maradbo. If you, if you look in the, in the Rashi from the standard Mikroqdolot, on the second to last line, after the, those first three words, you see there's a line? 
Shalosh Shanim Maradbo. The second two lines from the bottom, that I put a line there to show you that that's where Lutzki, Lutzki 778 ends. Okay, that last line is missing. And if you go down to the next manuscript dated from the 13th century, we have the whole, basically, we have the whole um, interpretation of Rashi, but what do we have near the arrow? What's written there? Can anyone figure it out? Tosefet Rabbeinu Yitzchak. Okay? This last line in Rashi's commentary was added, the taf resh means Tosefet. Tosefet Rabbeinu was added by Rabbi Yitzchak. Now this, if a taf is worth a million dollars, I would say this is worth ten million dollars. Alright? A name. Now, it's very exciting to have a name, but I remember when I came to Israel for the first time and I was working like in a development town, and a girl came to me and asked me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from New Jersey, New York. She goes, oh, do you know Tali in New York? <laughs> so, Rabbeinu Yitzchak in the medieval world is not such an unusual name. Now, if you name your child Yitzchak, that's a very unusual name, <laughs> right? We don't, those names are not so popular anymore. But in the medieval world, I mean, Rabbeinu Yitzchak is not such an unusual name, and that's true. Okay, but again, from the manuscript, from the manuscripts and the dating of the manuscripts, we can get a better idea of when this Rabbeinu Yitzchak lived. Oh, not that one. One second. Hold on a second. What I brought to you. No, I didn't bring it to you. I can just tell you, <laughs> I didn't bring it in the in 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 thing, that nine out of the, of the 31 manuscripts have this Tosefet. Four of the nine have the letters Tosefet Rabbeinu Yitzchak. And the earliest place that we find it is in Ashkenaz in the 13th century, and then it moves out. So Rabbeinu Yitzchak was a scholar who lived in the 13th century in Ashkenaz. So it's a little bit better than Tali in New York, maybe. Um, but there are many Rabbi Yitzchaks that lived in the Middle Ages, so in that time, so we can't pinpoint a specific name. Okay. The next example, I believe, is a very interesting one. And the next example, again, comes from Sefer Mishle, and it's example number B. In Sefer Mishle, the text says, Mochiach Adam Acharai, Chei Lashon. He who admonishes man in the end will find favor more than he who speaks with flattery. If we look in the box, the standard Mikra Okudolo, what does Rashi say? L'achar's man, after time, yimtza be'enav, chein yimtza be'enav, he will find favor in his eyes, yoter, more than mimachlik lashon, more than someone who is flattering. Matzinu be'breshit rabah, we found in the breshit rabah, the Midrash, koma kom she'ne'amar acharei, anywhere it says acharei, eno ela muflag, it doesn't mean immediately after, it means there's a, a gap. Achar samuch, when it says achar, it's right after. Rashi's comment is very interesting because Rashi is saying, is reading the word in the text acharai as acharei. And it would seem that Rashi had a different nusach of this pasuk in Sefer Mishlei than we have today. And that is not unheard of. So Rashi is saying, this verse, this verse says, anyone who admonishes man over time, uh, uh, will find favor in God's eyes more than someone who flatters. Look at Rashi number two. in the Midrash, al in the book of Dvarim, Mochiach Adam Acharai, 
זה משה. This is משה, שהוכיח את ישראל אחר הקדוש ברוך הוא. It's משה who, who admonished בני ישראל after God, and בני ישראל are called אדם. So the second trans, um, explanation of Rashi is not reading the word אחרי, but reading what? אחרי. מוכיח אדם אחרי, God is saying, anyone who admonishes בני ישראל after me, he will find favor in my eyes. That's referring to Moshe. And who is the machlik lashon? Who is the flatterer who does not find favor in God's eyes? Look at the end, um, the second to last line. Mimachlik lashon zebilam. Haomer liisrael zevarim etukanim. Okay, so it's interesting that Rashi is bringing two explanations to the text. One, the first one is reading acharei, and the second one is reading acharei. Let's go now to the first printed edition of Rashi in Saloniki in 1515. And what do we have in this first printed edition? Mochiach Adam al averot shebiyado umafrishomehem acharei chein laachar zman chein nimtza be'enav yoter mimachlik lashon. Matzinu bebreishit rabah kol makom shenemar acharei אינו אלא מופלג, אחר סמוך. What's missing in the Saloniki edition? The second explanation of Rashi. It only has number one. And if we look at the Lutsky collection, the second manuscript, the first was a printed edition, the second is a manuscript. What do we have? מוכיח אדם על עבירות שבידו ומפרישו מהם, אחרי כן ימצא ממחליק לשון, לאחר זמן ימצא חן יותר ממחליק לשון. מצינו בבראשית רבה, כל מקום שנאמר אחרי מופלג, אחר סמוך. Once again, what do we have missing? The second interpretation. So it's clear that the second interpretation of Rashi is an addition to Rashi's commentary. Who is the one who added to this interpolation? And if you turn the page, We get to a name which is worth a hundred million dollars. All right? And if you look at the top of the page, where the arrow is, okay, after the first interpretation, what do we read? The Rabbeinu Shmaya Matzah B'Tanchuma. Rabbeinu Shmaya found in the Tanchuma. Raise your hand, please, if anyone has ever heard of Rabbeinu Shmaya. Very impressive. Okay? Rabbeinu Shmaya added this to Rashi's commentary, or friends or students of Rabbeinu Shmaya added it saying, Rabbeinu Shmaya found in the Tanchuma. Now, Rabbeinu Shmaya, let's look at his name for a moment. Rabbeinu Shmaya, the name Rabbeinu Shmaya is found in three manuscripts. All right, Rabbeinu Shmaya Matzah. In one manuscript, what do we have? The Rabbi Shumia Matzah. In five manuscripts, what do we have? Rabbi Shimon Matzah. And in one manuscript, we have the Rebbe Yishmael Matzah. What happened? The original scribe probably wrote what? Shin Mem slash or Shin Mem Ayin. The next scribe came along and what? Never heard of Shmaya. What's Shmaya? Or added Shumia. Shmaya, Shin Mem. If you had a Shin Mem, what's a more common name than Shmaya? Shimon. Rebbe Shimon Matzah. Or Rebbe Yishmael Matzah. But what we have is textual evidence from 10 manuscripts 
that somebody by the name of Rabbi Shema, Shin Mem, right, added to Rashi's commentary. And the truth is that it's Rabbeinu Shmaya. Um, and Rabbeinu Shmaya is going to be the most significant person regarding um, Rashi's manuscripts. Rashi's student, Rabbeinu Shmaya was Rashi's student and his personal secretary and his scribe, whose name has been forgotten in the scope of Jewish history. That's why I was impressed that we had people here that even heard of Rabbeinu Shmaya. He will be the most significant person regarding the transmission of Rashi's text, which we're going to discuss in a few moments. And we just saw what happened to his name. Now it's logical that the second commentary added by Rabbi Nushmaya was not written by Rashi himself. Why? Because the first interpretation is reading the word as what? Acharei. And the second interpretation added by Rabbi Nushmaya is reading it as what? Acharei. If Rashi would have been reading the word in two different ways, we would have expected from Rashi a preface saying, another way of reading this word is acharai, and then bringing the second interpretation. So the illogical juxtaposition of these two commentaries is also another indication that it's not original to Rashi. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit more about Rabbi Shmaya and his contribution to what we know about Rashi today. If you look at source number C, on your sheet. Source number C comes from Sefer Bamidbar. The two and a half tribes, one who settle on the eastern side of the Yardane in Transjordan. Moshe is very disappointed with them. He thinks they're shirking their responsibility. And they say, no, we're going to come across and we're going to conquer Eretz Yisrael and that only then will we return. So what does the Pesuk tell us? Vanachnu nechaletz chushim lifnei b'nei Yisrael. We will go before b'nei Yisrael. Until we have established them in their homes. While we settle our children in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And what does Rashi say in the standard Mikroko Dolot on these words, Rashi says, In the front, in the beginning of the army, because these two tribes, Reuven God and also half of Manashet, were Giborim, were warriors, they promised to go in front, in front of the army. Shechei ne'amar begad, as it said in Sehu Dream regarding the tribe of God, the tarav zroa af kodkod, okay, talks about their, their, their strength. The af moshech hazaru piresh lem ve'ele hazarim, and later in Dvarim it also states, v'atzad etzchem ve'etahi le'mor, I commanded them, chalutzim ta'avru lifnei achichem, go in front, and then we're told later on, The warriors go in front. It's Ruvain God that kept their promise. This is what we have in our regular Rashi Mikraot Gedolot. Now I want you to look at the next source. The next source is quoted from this book, if you look at me for a moment, from the Haketer edition of the Tanakh. The Haketer edition it's called HaKeter because the biblical text, text is based on the Keter Aram Sova. But it's put out by Barilan University, and they have checked manuscripts. And they've gone through manuscripts, and they not only on Rashi, but other medieval commentaries. Now let's look at what we have in HaKeter. And this comment is based on a manuscript called Leipzig 1, which in a moment I'll talk about. We have the same exact thing that we have in the box, except what are the last three words? 
Sivani Rabi Lagia. What does that mean? Rashi, my Rebbe commanded me to edit. Rashi, my Rebbe commanded me to fix. Now, this, correct, this comment, I would say, is worth a billion dollars. All right? We have we have a comment from Leipzig 1 regarding Rashi. Now, what is Leipzig 1? Leipzig 1 is a 13th century manuscript of Rashi's Torah commentary. It's missing part of Sefer Zvarim. In the margins of this manuscript, in a minute we'll see it, where are glosses, written comments, and additions by Rabbeinu Shmaya, Rashi's scribe and student. There are over 200 comments in the margins of this manuscript. Some are Rabbeinu Shmaya himself, and some are from Rashi. Rav Machir, the scribe of this manuscript, seems to have copied directly from the manuscript in which Rav Shmaya wrote his glosses, wrote his comments. Regarding our commentary to Bamibar, what does it say? Tzivani Rabbi Lahagia. My master commanded me to edit. Rabbeinu Shmaya is telling us that Rashi commanded him to add his comment to, this, to the, to the, to the to his comment to his commentary to Sefer Bamibar, meaning this commentary was not one of Rashi's original statements, but was added later on upon Rashi's own request. Rashi's commentary to the Bible was not a stagnant commentary that was written, sealed, and put on the shelf. But rather, as time went on, Rashi made changes to his biblical commentary with the help of Rabbi Nushmaya. Rashi's Bible commentary is therefore somewhat layered, composed of different commentaries written at different times, albeit the vast majority of his commentary having been written earlier in his life. And here is an example of a later Rashi commentary which made its way into the Mikra'ot Gedolot. This was not an original Rashi commentator. It was added later in his life. I want to show you another example from Leipzig 1. You don't have it on your sheet. On the very, very same verse that we just read, that they will go chushim, the two and a half tribes. Chushim, Rashi says, Mabain, he's, he's, he's quoting from the Targum Unklis, Mabain, Vachash, that's, a, that's the same root as used later in Sefer Dvarim, Umabad Atid, Lashon Mabua Hanovea, Kain Zariz Benimhar. Rashi is stating here that the, the Hebrew word chush is translated by Targum Unklis as mabain, which means to flow, flow like a ma'ayan, flow like a river, to go hastily. And what do we have in Leipzig 1 after this comment? Rebbe, kaf, kaf, raf, reish, shin, which means kach, Rebbe, Rebbe commanded me, kach, katav, Rabbeinu Shmaya. All right, and I'm going to show you now. In the in in the this is Leipzig one. I don't know if you can see. This is the race from Rebbe, Kaf Kaf race Shin. So we have textual evidence. This was a commentary added by Rashi later in his life. He dictated to Rebbe Nushmaya. It never makes it into the regular Mikra Ot Gedolot. You're going to ask me why did the one we just saw do and this one didn't? That is the nature of manuscripts. No answer. Okay? So this is only found in the Haketer edition. If you would use the Haketer edition, you will find this comment of Rashi, which was added in later in his life through Rabbeinu Shmaya. Okay, I want to look at one more final example. 
Um, if you look on your sheets, let's look now at example D. Regarding the Jewish king, we know that the Jewish king had to write a Sefer Torah, um, a second Sefer Torah. Every Jewish person is supposed to be writing their own Sefer Torah and has to keep it with him all the time. Why does he have to write the Sefer Torah? Why does he have to keep it with him at all times? Levilti rum levavo, so that his heart should not become haughty, me'acha, from his brothers. Or levilti sur min ha-mitzvah, and he shouldn't veer from the mitzvot, yamin usmol, to the right or to the left. In order, lama'an ya'arich yamim, in order that he should lengthen his days, al mamlachto hu ubanav bekerav Yisrael. He and his sons among the Jewish people. Regarding the phrase, levilti sur min ha-mitzvah, that the king cannot veer his heart from mitzvot, Rashi writes, Afilu mitzvah kala shel navi. Even a simple mitzvah a navi, the king has to be careful of. In order to lengthen his days, lemaan ya'arich yamim. So what does Rashi write? We won't read the whole thing. Miklal hain ata shomeyalav. From the implication of the positive, you read the negative. Meaning, if he keeps the mitzvah, he will have a long life and a long reign. But what? If he doesn't, he won't. And then Rashi brings the example of Shaul. Shmuel told him, wait for me to bring the sacrifice. And what does Shaul do? He gets nervous and he brings the sacrifice before the time. And what happens to him because of that? He loses. The kingship will not continue on. If you go to the last line in Rashi in the box, so we see from here, because I have a small mitzvah, what happened? He, uh, a light mitzvah or a mitzvah of the Navi, he was, he was punished. Now let's look at Leipzig 1 and see what Rabbeinu Shmaya has to tell us. In Leipzig 1, we have a whole new commentary regarding Levilti Rome Levavo. In Leipzig 1, it reads, Levilti Rome Levavo, he cannot become haughty in his heart. Regarding God, yoter mishar echav, more than his brethren. But regarding his brothers, what can he do? He can become a sar. He can show that he's on top of them. But he's not allowed to hurt them. He's not allowed to put pressure on them. Because if he does that, that in a sense is being haughty to God. I think that's what Rashi's trying to say. What do we have after this comment? Rebbe, Reish, Kach, Katab, Rabbeinu Shmaya, Rebbe, Rashi. Alrighty, and we'll see now. If you see here in this manuscript, this is the comment here on the bottom. Notice underneath this comment is, your, is the Rashi that you have in your box. That's Rashi's original comment. And inserted in is this new commentary of Rashi that never made it into the standard Mikraot Gedolot, but we do have in this Leipzig 1 manuscript. So once again, we see that Rashi added a new commentary with the help of Rabbeinu Shmaya, but it never made it into the regular Mikraot Gedolot. Because Rashi made changes to his text after the original text had already been, had started to circulate, there exists multiple variant authentic editions of Rashi's commentary to the Torah. And we see from manuscript Leipzig 1, 
that Rabbeinu Shmaya was instrumental in assisting Rashi in making the changes and updating Rashi's Bible commentary. As exciting, and I think this is exciting, as exciting as Leipzig won, and these comments of Rabbeinu Shmaya and Rashi's new commentaries, Rashi tells us himself that he changes his commentaries with the help of Rabbeinu Shmaya. And that, if you look at source number E. In source number E, Rashi received a letter, believe it or not, from Rav Shmuel from the city of Oxier. And Rav Shmuel from Oxier sends him a letter with She'elot, questions in Rashi's commentary. He writes Rashi, Rashi, I don't understand what you write, you wrote. It seems that in certain places, your commentary contradicts itself. Rashi receives this letter, and this is Rashi's answer to Rav Shmuel from Oxier. And what does he write? And this, um, excuse me, this answer is found, we can find it in, look at the end of the title here, Ktav Yad Vatican, 94, the Hebrew manuscript 94 in the Vatican Library, and it's also found in other manuscripts as well. So what does he write? Visheshaal, Rashi is writing this. And you, you asked, Lama Katafti, why did I write certain things? Dot, dot, dot. Umikol makom anitaiti pirush. What intellectual honesty. Rashi writes, I made a mistake. I erred in this pirush. Visatro devarai zeedzeh. And what did I do? I contradicted myself. You are right, Rav Shmuel from Oxier. You are right. I made a mistake. I contradicted myself. And now what does Rashi write? The Atta and now Asaktiba im Achenu Shmaya. I have worked on it with my our brother Shmaya. He wasn't a brother, it means his fellow Jew Shmaya. The Hag Tiha. What have I done? I've edited and corrected. So here Rashi himself writes that Rabbeinu Shmaya was instrumental in helping him correct his Perush to the Bible. This is very exciting. So in addition to Leipzig 1, we have actual proof from Rashi himself that he fixed his commentary, He wrote, and we know that he wrote new comments, and the, what we've just seen just reinforces the statement of Rashbam, his grandson. Rash, Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, in his Perush to Sefer Breshit, on Parshat Vayeshev, the story of Yosef, what does the Rashbam write? And this is our last source, source number F. The Rashbam writes, V'gam Rabbeinu Shlomo, avi imi, Rabbeinu Shlomo, my grandfather, Meir Enei Gola, who was opened and enlightened the eyes of those in diaspora, Sheperesh Torah Nevi'im Uktuvim, who wrote a commentary and explained the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ktuvim, Natan Lev Lefaresh Pshutol Shamikra, he also tried to bring the simple explanation of the text or the straightforward explanation of the text. Va'af ani Shmuel berev Meir chotno zatal and me, myself, the grandson of Rashi, nitvakachti imo. What does that mean? I argued with him. I argued with my grandfather Rashi. Olefanav. The hodali. The hodali. What did he do? He admitted to me. Rashi admitted, acknowledged to his grand to his grandson. Sheilu hayulopnai. If he had the opportunity, hayatzarich lasot perushim acherim lefi hapshatot 
Hamitzchatim b'chayom. If he had had the opportunity, he would rewrite or add new commentaries along with the new ideas of the day. Rashi, he didn't manage to write a whole new commentary. But based on what we saw today, Rashi did begin to edit his commentary and add new commentaries with the help of his secretary, Rabbeinu Shlipshmaya, and other students. Rashi's search to explain the biblical text honestly and truthfully propelled him to write and re-edit his commentary. What a model of intellectual honesty and what a giant of a biblical scholar. And now... I want to go back to our original questions to make sure we answered them. Okay, we asked four basic questions. How can one identify an interpolation? So we saw there are abbreviations such as ataf for tosefet. I didn't show you this, but sometimes it's hey gimel for hagaha, right? We had an editing going on. We saw in one of our examples moving comments in the text. When the comments move, that's a sign that it's not an authentic Rashi commentary. In some cases, we saw missing comments. In other cases, we saw an illogical juxtaposition of comments, right? Reading the word in two different ways without Rashi prefacing and telling us, I'm reading it in a different way. Who added to Rashi's Bible commentary? Scribes added. Teachers learning Rashi's commentary wrote comments on the side, and then the next scribe came along and what? Just added into the text. Rashi's students added in the margins, and we saw, most excitingly, Rashi himself, aided by Rabbeinu Shmaya and other students, added to his own commentary. How many interpolations are there? That's very difficult to answer. Professor Avram Grossman, who is really the world expert on Rashi and Rashi manuscripts, believes that about 10% are interpolations. But Professor Elazar Twita, who is also a Rashi expert, believes that there's a much, much higher percentage. And what types of comments were added? All types. We saw pshats, midrash, Christian Jewish polemics. You name it, it's been added to Rashi's commentary to the Bible. Um, maybe we have about five minutes. Five minutes? Ten minutes. Oh, great. So I can take maybe a few questions, and then if anyone wants to see, I can just show you a few slides of what happened with the printing press, what happened to Rashi. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is bothering me very much. It's so freeing. Didn't they, didn't they respect the integrity of the text? Just oh. like we do? I mean, what, if, what gave them the right to just go ahead and... Okay. Yes. Okay, okay good. Um, we have a question here. Didn't the Supreme respect the integrity of the text? So the truth is that the scribes didn't do it on purpose sometimes. They didn't know who wrote that in the margin. They thought maybe it really belonged in Rashi's commentary. But I want to say that no. The way they approached the text was different than we did today. It said that Rabbeinu Ma'or HaGola had to make a, had to make a takana not to change around text, biblical text, because it seems that people in the medieval world were more free in terms of making changes. So the the um, the awe that we we approach a biblical a text of a commentator wasn't necessarily the same awe that was felt in the Middle Ages. Yeah. How did Rashi interpret the different order of the daughters of Salafat? So that Rashi thinks that they're all equal in in wisdom and, and in age. That's why the order is out of order. Yeah. That's his commentary yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? No more questions, really? Yeah, okay, David. David. I'm going to show you the slides. Okay, David. No, but David is my mukhutan, a real tamid chacham. He could be giving this lecture. Yeah, David. <laughs> I don't mean to embarrass you.
So I did my doctorate on Rashi to say for Mishlei, so I just went through all the manuscripts. It's Avodat Parach, um, but it's very exciting because when you come across something, it's just, it's really it's really detective work. I never wanted to be a detective, but that's what I've become when you're using manuscripts. Um, when you're reading a regular Mikra Okudolot, illogical things or Peirushim that don't seem like a type of that Rashi would write, or sometimes contradictions. There, I would say you can go back to the to manuscripts and start looking, but certainly no one has ever written a, a critical edition of Rashi's commentary to the Torah because it's almost impossible. There are hundreds of Rashi manuscripts to the Torah. How do you do that? How do you sift through all of them? So it's really where you sense that something perhaps is not authentic Rashi to, to go and search, but now we have the Haketzer series from Barilan University, which can help us very much. Okay, I just want to talk a little bit about the printing press. Um, the, printer's, the, printing, the printer's role in the text was choosing a text of Rashi and then preparing it for printing. Now, the first question you have to ask is, when the printers came, well, what text of Rashi did they choose as their base text? So the printers chose the best the version they thought was the most authentic version. But we're already starting with a question. How did they know what was the best or the cleanest or the most authentic Rashi Perush? To make it more problematic, okay, this is from Rashi's commentary printed in Bologna in 1482. The first printing room was in 1475 in Italy in Reggio de Calabria. Look what the person working on the manuscript, a colophon in the manuscripts was the last page where we write the name of the scribe, the year he worked, and so on and so forth. What does he write? I was careful to correct the commentary of Rashi. We have no controls. How did he correct the commentary of Rashi? How much did he correct the commentary of Rashi? He has very good intention to restore it to its pristine glory as much as possible. And this was my duty, for I knew the students would find it the rest for their souls, and I'm sure they did. But we have no idea, one second, okay, how, what he did, and what he used in order to correct the commentary of Rashi. In addition, called the Magid, which was printed twice in Lisbon in 1623 and in Amsterdam 1699, listen to what the author writes, the, the printer. He says, Perush Rashi Muga, I'm editing Perush Rashi, Al Pisefer Nechmad, a nice book, Rashi Katuv Al Klaf Yashan Noshan. He found a nice old manuscript and he's going to correct Rashi based on that manuscript. And I could just bring you, I have a cop. Here's a picture. This is the Magid from Amsterdam, 1699. This is the biblical text. This is, on the bottom, it's Yiddish. There's a translation into Yiddish on the bottom. That was lost on me, unfortunately. Um, and here we have Rashi. And I circled for you, in this Hamagid edition, there are over 200 glosses that were added to Rashi's commentary. 
Do you see the letters Haga Dira at the very end of the of the red Haga? And the adding Dira Dirabenu Ovadja. So this printer found some manuscript from Abenu Ovadja, liked what he said regarding Rashi, and added it into the text. I mentioned to you that the Mikrooktolot that you have at home is a copy of what? Of the Warsaw 1860 manuscript, I mean printing. Why, why isn't it redone? I mean, and the truth is because editing and correcting manuscripts was timely and costly, what simply happened over history was what? It was just copied and copied and copied. And this is my most favorite example of a interpolation into Rashi's printed edition. I, it just makes me laugh every time. Rashi to say for Daniel, Rashi quotes himself as having died. Okay? And this is not only here in Daniel. It happens in quite a few places. But notice, there they did put it in parentheses. Okay? Notice there are parentheses around it. So... Um, the solution today really is to purchase the Haketer series. They're not expensive, and like I said, they go through manuscripts. They do not go through 100 Rashi manuscripts on the Torah. They go through a certain number that they know are good manuscripts, and then on that, they base the edition. Um, so did I in- ra- 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 raise some excitement for our topic of editions? Great. Okay. Thank you.